Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Well, welcome and thank you all for joining us today. The next two hours are devoted to learning something more, not just about the world of shoes and ships and sealing wax, as my lovely bride likes me to say, but a time for the open-minded, willing to challenge some of those old ideas behind what we think we know, who we are, and who we might just become. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. All right, our chat room is open, and my partner, Ravinder, awaits you there now. You can log on by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. We do have a great chat room, so Ravinder, tell us all about it, please. We have the best chat room. It's a wonderful group of people. We have great, great conversation. Uh, I often learn extra things just from the other people in the chat room, so um, it's it's a great place to hang out and get an extra dimension to whatever is being discussed on the air. So do come join me. That is provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. Now, Rav, a lot of people don't listen to the show live. They'll pick it up in the archives or they'll get it on one of the other networks that broadcasts it after the live show. And yet, you know, our chat log remains so that they could see this chat log. And indeed, when we play videos, which we usually do of our Uh guests... They're there as well. Tell us about that. How do they access it? What do they need to do uh, to actually feel like they're participating in the show, watching the chat room, seeing the URLs, the links, and, and so on and so forth that are all discussed while they're listening? Yeah, it is. You know, if you're not hearing the show live and hearing a, you know, aired somewhere else, just go to provocativeenlightenment.com and click on the archives. Uh, you'll find uh, the show and all the details in the chat room right there. Click on there. You can see everything that was discussed in there. Sometimes we do mess around and crack jokes as well in there. So uh, that can be kind of fun as well. But uh, you can go in there. You will see the videos that we aired during the show, um, any earls or other tips that, you know, get mentioned on the air, we will often post um, in the chat room as well. So if you don't catch an earl or you don't catch someone's name, you can also check it out just by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. All right. In this week's spotlight, I wish to address the benefits of giving. We have all just been through the Black Friday and the Cyber Monday madness. Sales everywhere, promising price cuts like never before, shouting limited quantities, offering customer testimonials, and using every other motivational and compliance principle, urging us to buy now. Shop early and save. Shop early while quantities last. Prices slashed on bestsellers and more. Those have been the headlines in every sort of media. And if you're at all like most of us, you were not immune to the pitches. Our wallets all came out and we began to spend. Why we spend is no more complicated than it's that time of year when gifts are expected, when they are both given and received. There are social reasons for this that set up expectations. And a large part of that social motivation comes down to what over the years is the net effect of advertising. But there are very many perks that also come as a result of giving. And as such, perhaps our giving should be year-round. 
My late partner, Roy Bay, used to say, I don't get all worked up or worried about giving at Christmas because I make it a point to give year-round. And that's exactly how he lived. Research shows us that people who give are happier. Indeed, happy people give more. One study demonstrated that happiness increases charitable behavior, and further, the researchers also showed that after experiencing positive events, something as simple as receiving cookies or finding change, a little money, participants were more likely to help others. Thus, people who felt good were more likely to provide help. Positive mood states that resulted from giving were also shown to increase altruism. Feelings of competence, for example, have been shown to increase helping and volunteering behavior. This positive mood state has also been shown to aid in promoting helpful behavior in the workplace. Quoting a paper titled, Feeling Good About Giving, by Anik, Acknan, Norton, and Dunn, scholars from different universities, dialogue on whether pro-social behavior increases well-being dates as far back as ancient Greece, where Aristotle argued that the goal of life was to achieve eudaimonia which is closely tied to modern conceptions of happiness. According to Aristotle, eudaimonia is more than just a pleasurable hedonic experience. Eudaimonia is a state in which an individual experiences happiness from the successful performance of their moral duties. Sometimes we think more about how much we are spending than on what giving really means to all of us. Taken in totality, giving is good for the soul. So whether your charity is one of exchanging gifts with family and friends, or simply lending a helping hand, or perhaps depositing a few dollars in one of those Salvation Army buckets, we encourage you to feel the gift of giving and relish the joy that comes from the opportunity. Give thanks with each gift that you offer, recognizing that right now, in this moment, you have the opportunity to truly share in the spirit of love. In other words... Please see your gifts as an act of love. In this way, you cannot give without expanding your awareness of the wonders life offers all of us each and every day. Your thoughts on this one, Ravinder? You know, I totally agree with you. Uh, when you give, it is an act of love. There isn't anything I enjoy more than, especially with our boys, when you find that perfect gift. Actually, no, with you, because you have to be one of the hardest people to buy for. But when I find that perfect gift, you know, it's not only your immediate reaction. It's every time you pull something out that I've given to you and you admire it or you enjoy it or it makes your life easier every single time. So the gift of giving just carries on giving because I, I, I receive. And so one of the things I wanted to let everyone be aware of, you know, when you receive, you are also giving as well. Because the very act of giving to somebody, you know, your body fills with those good hormones, you reduce your stress, you build your immune, you know, everything just works better. So when you receive a gift from somebody, you are giving to them as well. Um, that can sound a bit convoluted, but you definitely do. So it is as, as important to be a good receiver as it is to be a good giver. I think both of those are... Very well said. Okay. And it is convoluting the model. Most of us don't think about, you know, when we're giving somebody a gift, 
thanking ourselves or thanking the universe for the opportunity to give the gift. Instead, we say thank you when we get the gift, you know. And your point about convoluting the other side and recognizing that we are giving a gift even when we're receiving. So uh, it's very well said. I like that. Thanks. Now, I think that is an important one. There have often been times when I wanted to do something for someone to help them out or something, and they're prideful, you know. Perhaps it's an older person and they don't want to be a burden and they don't want, you know... And it's like, I wish you would let me because I, I would feel good. You know, it would, it would, it would just be good to be able to help you, to be able to see that smile on your face. Please let me help you. You know, when you talk about the gifts that keep on giving, uh-huh. I remember the first gift you gave me that really rang all the bells. You know, I was too cheap to buy an electric screwdriver, I know. a power drill, I know or anything <laughs> like that. And I hated that hand cranking, and you bought me that drill. And what a difference that made to putting screws anywhere, you know? And that was about 24 years, no, 23 25, years ago, yeah. something like that. And every time you get out the electric drill... I get that smile, that flood of hormones in my own system. And I think of you, too. I guarantee you. All right. Every week I read some of your letters as our way of involving you while paying respect to the very important role you play in making this show successful. I hope you all enjoyed a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. And for those of you who experienced the storms and power outages around the country like we did here in Spokane, you probably found it very easy to be grateful for small things like heat, water, lights, and all of those little electrical devices that we've come to depend upon. It seemed just a bit ironical that on the day we were to host Matthew Stein and discuss his book, When Technology Fails, that a freak windstorm with hurricane-strength winds would literally put the lights out for some 200,000 folks in our area. Right here, where the broadcast originates. Now, it's truly an irony, don't you think, Rev? I do. That was, that was funny. <laughs> and, and, and Stein said as much when you talked to him, right? Yeah, absolutely. But we will have him back on, so next time we'll be even more prepared. And hopefully he won't bring another example of why we <laughs> need to know what to do when technology fails. Okay, turning to our letters. Marianne wrote, I absolutely love your radio show. Jonathan wrote, Provocative Enlightenment is one show that I never miss. Charlotte wrote, I've been a customer of InterTalk for the last five years. As a result, I've experienced amazing results. I have faith in your products and benefits that have taken place in my life. Thank you. Tammy wrote, Thank you. I have listened to Dr. Taylor's Unlimited Personal Power InterTalk CD each night as I go to sleep since reading Choices and Illusions, which is an amazing book, because I truly feel emotionally lighter and simply better when I wake each morning, I know that inner talk is a very positive, life-changing experience. Dalbeer wrote, now you know Dalbeer. I do indeed. Very conservative young woman. Very bold of you to write gotcha. Doesn't matter how much you think your eyes are already open, gotcha opens them wider. All right, that's all the time we're going to take for letters today, but I do invite you to opine by sending your comments to Eldon at eldentaylor.com or by joining me on Facebook. We do sincerely appreciate your feedback and support, and commenting is a great way for you to participate in the show. 
Now to today's episode, Guide to Psychic Power, with our special guest and author of the book by the same title, Rosemary Ellen Guiley. But first, let me tell you a little about Rosemary. She is a leading author, researcher, and investigator in the metaphysical and paranormal fields, and has authored more than 60 books on the wide range of topics. Rosemary is a certified hypnotist and does regressions for past lives and entity abductions, and also is a tarot reader and dream work consultant. In addition, she investigates cases of severe hauntings and entity attachments, and researches spirit communications in the afterlife. Rosemary's perspective on psychic ability is based on her experience and training in energy healing, meditation, psychic and intuitive development, dream work, and paranormal investigations. She's been with us before, so let's get her in here. Welcome back to Provocative Enlightenment, Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Hello there, Eldon. Good to have you. What have you been up to? This year, I have been on the road most of the year. I, I do spend uh, a good deal of time on the road every year doing uh, lectures at workshops at various events. And this year, it was just busier than ever. I had uh, events every weekend from February up until the weekend before Thanksgiving. And uh, so I was just living out of a suitcase. But wow. I really enjoyed it because um, I like giving presentations. I love meeting people, coming into contact with fresh ideas, hearing about people's experiences. So it was all very energizing. And, Why do you um, think you were busier this year than usual? Rosemary, why do you think you were busier this year than usual? I mean, are the ghosts and the ghouls out, or are people just, <laughs> you know, becoming less resistive to the idea of psychic phenomena, or what? I attribute some of it to an upsurge in personal interest. Uh, since I work in so many different fields, the paranormal, the metaphysical, I also research and lecture in ufology, in uh, mysterious creatures, and uh, in occult and magical studies, as well as the metaphysical. So all of these areas are interrelated in one way or another, and I'm constantly moving around in, in different uh, areas of interest. And it, overall, it, it feels to me that um, more individuals are awakening to um, the indications that there's something more out there than just daily material life. Uh, maybe they've had experiences that have piqued their curiosity, even if it's just from a paranormal investigation. And I think we're being pulled into this uh, awareness of a connection to a greater whole. Uh, and also, I think because we have global mind now, thanks to the Internet and global media, um, we, as a, a huge mass of humanity, we react every day to things that we hear on the news, and so many of them, uh, these events are traumatic. Uh, I think people also want to be able to do something about it. How can we impact uh, daily life and events around the world uh, for the better so that we're all more secure, uh, more stable, happier, uh, and uh, we have our... our uh, pursuit of happiness uh, and uh, and freedom. You suggested in your explanation that all of this phenomena is somehow knitted together, and, and I get metaphysics and, 
and you know the esoteric areas of uh, parapsychology, psychic phenomena, and so forth, how they connect. But how do you tie the Sasquatch and the the alien, the gray, into metaphysics and psychic? What, how do you knit that one in there? Well, uh, it's virtually impossible to isolate experiences to any one facet. And uh, the way these fields have been researched, they've tended to be very pigeonholed, uh, very narrow in focus. Uh, people have studied, for example, the ET experiences. Other people have studied the paranormal experiences. Other people have gone into, like, angels and light beings and uh, that metaphysical path. And yet people, the average person uh, who has experiences, and we all have more than one throughout life, uh, we're not going to be confined to one area. We're going to have a variety of experiences that spill uh, into really the big picture. Uh, our experiences with ghosts, with uh, meeting mysterious creatures, with uh, encountering um, ETs, uh, often have uh, other implications to them. It's not just a contact experience or an extraordinary experience. It's something that pulls us into an expanded consciousness. And uh, uh, these sorts of things have come out in the past, but it's uh, starting to uh, affect the way many researchers approach uh, their own fields of expertise to look at other related areas and see what the connections are. So uh, are within you the past year, I joined the board of directors of a new organization called the Foundation for Research into Extraterrestrial Encounters. And uh, this organization is doing um, the world's largest um, international survey of, uh, of experiences. And it's not just ET experiences. It, it, we're covering OBEs, NDEs, angels, fairies, uh, ghosts, uh, and uh, all of these things have implications for the individual that a person who has ET experiences may also have had a number of uh, profound OBE experiences that take them into uh, a different spectrum of that expanded consciousness. Uh, people who have uh, all of these experiences may begin to wonder uh, about parallel dimensions, about um, uh, things that even affect us into the afterlife. And so one thing sort of builds on another, and I think it's um, that this is part of the upsurge in interest, too, that uh, people are realizing that there's a lot more go than going on than just a, a mystical experience or a scary experience, that they're all tied into some sort of expansion of consciousness, which has to do with our relationship to the greater cosmic whole. So if I, if I get you correctly, you're basically suggesting that as a result of one or any of these sorts of experiences, it blows through that traditional paradigm that we were all educated in, opens us up, and we begin to investigate other areas. And that's what you mean by expanded consciousness? Uh, yes, that that is it. And um, that um, now some people, uh, you know, they have one or two experiences, and and that's pretty much it for them. Uh, maybe they're not inclined to push further. But uh, for many other individuals, uh, having an extraordinary experience opens up 
curiosity and lines of inquiry and even other experiences that then become different than the first experience so that uh, the individual is, is propelled along a path of discovery, um, you know, if, if, if they're willing to follow it. Um, as I was saying earlier, people seldom have experiences just limited to one particular type. Uh, if, if we're going to have um, one kind of extraordinary experience, it's likely that our sensitivity to these alternate realities uh, is going to grow and expand. We're going to have other kinds of experiences as well. And now, so uh, researchers me. really need to take this into account. Right. Forgive me, but now playing devil's advocate, the psychologist in me says, if if you are an individual who fantasizes or confabulates, comes up with a story of of uh, a UFO abduction, and 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 this is you know it didn't really happen. You just you've imagined it. You you know what for whatever reason you may even believe that it's true. You're also, by personality type, given to what? See fairies and, uh, you know, ghosts on the other side. In other words, how much fraud is involved in, in these areas of investigation where people are also seeing multiple sorts of phenomena uh, how, how do you sort out the psychological from the real? Well, because these experiences are subjective, uh, it, it does re, you know, put us to the test in terms of evaluating. How do we evaluate these experiences, find some sort of common baseline uh, by which we can measure them and, and uh, analyze them? Um, several, I recall several decades ago, I think it was back in the... Um, Oh, it might have been the early 90s, maybe even the late 80s, uh, that uh, Kenneth Ring did a study of personality types uh, who had certain kinds of extraordinary experiences. Yes. He looked at mm-hmm. ET experiencers and NDE experiencers and um, found that many of them had tendencies toward dissociative personalities. That is, they were uh, they had a very easy time going into... Uh, fantasy world and right. kind of disconnecting from reality. Um, and he looked at some of the factors in their background that could account for that. Uh, I do recall that this study um, made the ET people very happy and the NDE people not very happy because they didn't like being lumped in with the ET people. Uh, and here again we have biases that have really interfered with our ability to uh, take uh, you know more objective looks at these kinds of experiences. Uh, well, there um, there is always a problem of fantasy, but there is a difference between fantasy and imagination because without the component of imagination, we would not be able to vision anything. We would not be able to have creativity. We would not be able to vision a future that we want to bring into being. Imagination uh, connects us to the archetypal realms, to um, uh, the power of inspiration and creative thought that... Um, comes from something greater than ourselves, some transcendent place. The faculty of imagination is very important for that. Fantasy is where we start making things up. And uh, sometimes I think in there are cases where it's very difficult to draw the line between the two, and you have to look, uh, you know, the, the clinically trained people would have to take a close look at what pathology might be going on versus some sort of 
genuine, um, uh, you know, exceptional experience. And uh, this has been uh, sort of haphazardly addressed in parapsychology. Um, not too many people really want to get into it because it's just a minefield uh, from the scientific perspective. Uh, and Rhea White, who used to uh, to uh, edit the journal for the American Society for Psychical Research, was very forward-thinking in this regard, and uh, including the book she did with Michael Murphy on being in the zone and, and the changes that occur to consciousness in the body uh, mm-hmm. when we uh, step beyond waking reality. But she coined the term exceptional human experience a few decades ago and advocated that there at least ought to be some attention uh, in science to look at these subjective uh, factors of uh, people having extraordinary experiences and how they were transformed by them. Uh, because they're experiences that uh, r- really can't be fit into laboratory settings where people okay. can do. Uh, you I know, don't want to cut you off, but we've got a hard we've got a hard break coming up here. It, and and when we come back, Rosemary, I'm going to ask you to kind of clarify there because there's quite a bit of difference between the zone and just you know uh, disassociative personality uh, disorder. So. Uh, we're speaking with Rosemary Ellen Guiley about her life, work, research, and book, Guide to Psychic Power. To learn more about Rosemary, visit her website at visionaryliving.com. Okay, remember to join Ravinder in the chat room. You can do that by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. Do stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. Change has never been easier. Whether you wish to lose weight, stop smoking, build better relationships, become creative, enjoy ultra prosperity, or simply relax and promote self-healing, InnerTalk has been repeatedly demonstrated effective in the most rigorous of scientific studies. Our customers love InnerTalk. Sean wrote, I have struggled with bulimia for over 30 years and have never been able to lose weight without restoring to it until I used InnerTalk. Vicki wrote, My hubby has been using the Stop Snoring CD, and already his dangerous and raucous snoring levels have stopped. Celeste wrote, I recently graduated from Taft Law School with honors. I'm writing to tell you how much your InnerTalk CD, Excel in Exams, has helped me. With over 300 titles to choose from, there is something for everyone. Check it out today by going to innertalk.com. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor.
And welcome back. If you've just joined us, we're chatting with Rosemary Ellen Guiley about her life, work, research, and book, Guide to Psychic Power. To learn more about Rosemary, visit her website at visionaryliving.com. Now, we ask our guests for three pieces of music, three of their favorites, music that has some genuine significance to them. Music psychology, an area I'm particularly interested in, an emerging new field, has some very practical relevance in many areas, including investigations of human aptitude, skill, intelligence, creativity, personality, and social behavior. So when you tell someone what your favorite song is, like it or not, there's a great deal of self-disclosure that comes packed in that statement. All right, with that said, we just played Hold On Tight by Electric Light Orchestra, ELO. Please tell us, Rosemary, why is this music important to you, and how does it instruct us about who you are? Well, this is one of my favorite songs, and I also picked music to go along with the theme of our uh, discussion today as well. And uh, Guide to Psychic Power is about uh, developing your intuitive-slash-psychic abilities to uh, do better in life, uh, to uh, stay on course, to overcome obstacles better, uh, to have a better sense of who you are and what you're supposed to be doing in life. And the stresses of daily life uh, can uh, get us disconnected from that. Uh, We become mired in uh, obstacles, in not seeing our way out of something, and in stress. And so the message of the of the song is about take, always uh, connecting to that uh, that higher viewpoint to hold on tight to your dream. Everybody has a dream in life of who they are and what they uh, are meant to do in, in life, what they would like to see accomplished, and that's the big dream that propels us along the path. So our psychic ability is very important to us in terms of uh, being able to stay the course for that. To avoid, um, you know, uh, taking, uh, getting sidetracked, to uh, to not getting stymied, and most of all, not giving up hope. Okay, so hold on tight to the dream, and the dream is let's manifest more psychic ability for the moment, anyway. Right before the break, Rosemary, I, I mentioned to you I'd like you to kind of flesh out uh, more fully, if you will. I don't want our listening audience. Uh, to be confused in any way. The zone, typically that's something sports enthusiasts talk about a lot. It's, uh, you know, it's a state of mind where you are not presently aware of what you're doing except afterwards. Uh, Golden Richards, the uh, famous Dallas Cowboy tight end once told me, he said, Eldon, it's uh, like watching yourself do it from out of the body. Uh, that's what you mean by the zone. Have I got that right? And yet, well, yes, d- that is uh, an altered state of consciousness that uh, Murphy and White wrote about uh, from the sports perspective. Right. Uh, but that's quite there is different. awareness of what you're doing. But it, time expands uh, right. so that, uh, you know, you have time to see yourself almost in slow motion sometimes doing things. But the zone also affects artists, anybody with creativity. Sure. Sure. Uh, deeply focuses on something. But what um, I wanted to do is I wanted where oh. time kind of, you know, the edges of time disappear around you and you're in some sort of stream of altered consciousness where you are connected to something greater than yourself to accomplish something, to do something. And right, the more but that, we... is n- 
that's not at all related to disassociative identity disorder. That's the point I wanted to get to. Now, I, I do understand what you were saying because, you know, a lot of people, especially like abused children uh, or others who have complex disassociative disorder, and I'll get that said, also manifest psychic abilities. Why? We don't really know, and it's an unanswered question in psychology, but what I wanted to clarify is they are not the same states, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, when I mentioned Rhea White, I just mentioned her work in the zone as something uh, related to, uh, you know, another kind of altered state, but I wasn't uh, uh, trying to say that the two were the same, so that is cool. good to clarify. All right, good. I just want to make sure I don't want the email and be trying to explain something that if I can ask you, you can you can explain. I, I, I want to go to your book. I want to talk about your book, but I, I want our listeners also to have a little bit of a background about who you are. I mean, typically my first question is always, you know, who is the messenger? What is the message and how do we use it? You've been to the show before. But many of our listeners may not be acquainted with you. So tell us a little bit about how you were raised and when you first discovered you had psychic ability. Uh, I was rather young in life, and uh, I I grew up uh, in Seattle uh, and um, uh, almost as an only child. I have an older sister who's 12 years older than me and uh, was out of the house quite a bit when I was small. So... It was like being an only child, and I spent a great deal of time by myself. And uh, I had a very, um, you know, vivid imagination. But I also had experiences, like many children do, of uh, other beings. And for me, they were fairies and angels. And I played with the fairies, and the angels uh, were around me and especially sang to me, especially at night. And uh, these were very real experiences to me, and I think children... um, assume that everybody has the same kind of kinds of experiences. I was also interested in a very early age in astronomy, science fiction, the unknown, the paranormal. All of these things intrigued me and were part of my uh, voracious uh, reading habits as well. Uh, as I got older, uh, y- you know, you-, you discover that not everybody, when it comes to these things, not everybody has the same experiences. And some people believe them and some people don't. Uh, Also, my mother had a lot of precognitive dreaming. And when I was an adolescent, um, she started telling me about some of her dreams as well as some of her other experiences. She had visitations. And I was uh, riveted by them, especially the idea that dreams could look into the future. So by the time I was in high school, I was experimenting with my dreams and with developing my ESP. Uh, Harold Sherman was, uh, you know, one of my uh, role models. Uh, I loved his work. Uh, he had uh, instructions uh, for how to do experiments, and I experimented with my dreams and with sending and receiving messages with enough success to convince me that there really was something to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, this became... Uh, part of my personal um, study and inquiry, which then gradually, as I got older, merged into my professional path as a writer. Um, I uh, studied as a journalist, and I got a degree in journalism, and I worked in uh, various capacities as an editor and writer for uh, newspapers and magazines and uh, even uh, IBM at, at the end. That was the last job I had. 
uh, before I went out on my own as an author in 1983. And I really wanted to devote my time to these big mysteries, uh, the mysteries of our connections to these other realities and why our connections are very uneven, why we don't all seem to experience uh, the same uh, the same things in reliable ways. That being mm-hmm. said, there are patterns to our experiences that are very consistent throughout history, uh, and uh, that can be uh, you know determined just by studying the the uh, literature in various uh, fields. But I also had some extraordinary experiences, including visitations, uh, lucid dreams, um, that. Helped shape my mission in life, uh, which uh, was to uh, pursue these these mysteries and provide uh, information to people who were sorting things out, just like I had been. And so my personal path became my professional path, and vice versa. And uh, uh, here I am, more than thirty years later. I'm still on a road to discovery, just like um, everyone else. But. Uh, uh, I feel it's important for people, especially in the beginning, when they've had experiences that kind of shake them up, maybe challenge their worldview, that they have uh, places they can go to get um, validating information, uh, educational information, and also uh, places or even people uh, that can encourage them to talk about their experiences uh, without fear of ridicule. And that, unfortunately is still a very big factor today. So that really propels my work. And uh, uh, also from a very early age, I saw all these interconnections. So I've always been multidisciplinary. I never really wanted to limit myself to just one field of inquiry. Tell us, us, you know, about the visitations. I mean, I understand lucid dreams, but what, what kind of visitations were you having? Well, the ones that were uh, helping to shape what I'm doing now occurred in the 1980s, and uh, they were part of uh, lucid dreaming, and um, they started happening spontaneously. Uh, Now, I have to also say that at that time, I was uh, literally hell-bent for leather to learn as much and experience as much as I could, and so I was uh, studying... um, classes, I was learning meditation, I got very involved in Zen meditation, uh, and uh, I was attending lectures and seminars, Uh, I studied Jungian psychology, I'm not a clinical psychologist, but I went very deep into Jungian psychology, and I was doing all of these things, so it's really no surprise uh, that that fertilized the ground for some extraordinary experiences, and and they started spontaneously in dreams. These were lucid dreams where uh, it was the kind of dream where you're not sure that you're awake or you're not sure that you're dreaming, Um, and then sometimes you realize you are dreaming, but it's still uh, an extraordinary experience that is outside of, of, uh, um, you know, Earth-like reality, and in these dreams, uh, I would be in the presence of uh, a radiant being that had uh, a feminine kind of energy, and I assumed her to be an angel. Uh, and I'm not quite sure that's the most accurate description for her, but um, at the time, uh, I took her to be an angel, and she was like a guide and a teacher. She would take me places, and um, they were. 
other realities. And sometimes I would be in landscapes that seemed to be physical, like another planet. Sometimes I would be uh, just out in space, and I was getting telepathic instruction from her that had to do with uh, thought and manifestation and um, just things beyond uh, earthly consciousness. Um, and I could never remember everything. When I woke up, I could never remember everything uh, from the dream, but these were always very pleasant dreams. And I looked forward to them, but I could not make them happen. You know, as much as I wanted silver, I started calling her Silver Lady because that's what she looked like, a glowing Uh silver feminine presence. I could not summon Silver Lady. She seemed to come when it was time to come. And uh, this series of, of dreams went on for quite some time. They were always in black and white. I usually dream in color. And they ended with a download. Now, many people today... Talk about being downloaded, getting some sort of rapid, massive infusion of energy or information or both that uh, expands consciousness. And that's what I received at the end of these. Uh, And that uh, was a big initiation for uh, the work that that I then started doing. It was uh, an alchemical unfoldment where I felt that um, in this download, which took place with her present in my uh, my bedroom where I awakened and saw her standing beside my bed and this stream of energy was coming out of her fingertips uh, into me at, and, uh, at an intense rate of speed. Uh, I could never describe exactly what was in the download, but I knew that it was important to my life and my mission uh, on Earth. And uh, also that if I trusted my guidance uh, in following this mission, that the path alchemically would unfold before me at the right momentum at the right time. And I couldn't necessarily hurry it along. Uh, I had to trust in the unfolding. And that has remained true uh, to this day. And uh, I... uh, I can't say that I've been 100% in following the path. Uh, I think it would be a rare human who was who able to. But right. I've always been able to get back on track. And I think that um, this contained information um, and uh, uh, maybe things relating to my origins, my past lives, other aspects of my multidimensional self, uh, things that... I intended for me uh, in coming into this incarnation. All of that was was in this download, and it the energy of it becomes available to me as I need various parts of it for the projects that I undertake. So, how old were you when this happened? I was in my early thirties, oh, and so you're um, not a child. You're grown up, and and right. in in okay. Uh, so well, you, more like you have, I guess my mid thirties. Um, but so you um, have finished college. Was, you have you've got a career. You're a journalist. You're working, and this is occurring to you in adult life. Yes, it is. And uh, I have interviewed many people who've had downloads, um, and it's um, sometimes they come as part of an encounter with a being of some sort. 
And sometimes uh, it's when they're at a turning point in life, when they feel that they need, um, you know, a major redirect. And after a lot of intense energy is expended uh, in, in terms of trying to sort things out, some sort of download happens. I think creative people get downloads all the time. And uh, as a writer, I, I'm, I'm an artist and a creative person. And uh, uh, so it's being, you know, open to the channels, uh, the spiritual channels, uh, where uh, constantly... Um, uh, have available to us streams of energy from the spiritual realms that uh, uh, can help us, and and they get filtered quite a bit through our psychic ability, our our senses that perceive things beyond uh, daily waking reality. And okay. uh, so, Let, the more let's... we can attune to that, then the more we can benefit from it. Right. Let's let's turn to that. Let's you know your book. Um... You know, unlike a lot of books, uh, and by the way, I particularly enjoyed it, uh, unlike a lot of books in this area, actually is a turn and learn. And, you know, you'll take a subject, you'll define the subject, then you'll give, provide an exercise. Maybe you'll have a pretest. You do have a pretest in, in, in the very beginning. But you start right out by saying in your introduction that everybody has psychic abilities. Now, what do you mean by that? I want you to define it. And when you say everyone, are you literally including folks like Richard Dawkins and Michael Shermer when you say that? I mean, I've had Michael on this show, and I'll tell you, he'd say he doesn't have any psychic ability, but he's a real good cold reader. <laughs> uh, I do mean everyone. And, uh, yes, uh, you know, in my work in the paranormal, I'm uh, constantly meeting people who claim that, uh, you know, they're psychic as a stone and, it's the gizmos that are going to connect them to the unseen. Um, and my position is that you just haven't recognized the innate ability that you, you came into this life with. It is, it is part of our survival mechanism. It is part of our connection to the greater whole. It is that part of our consciousness which sees beyond linear time to um, probabilities and possibilities uh, that uh, are shaping up as a potential events, and also to it connects us to uh, our capacity to vision, uh, to envision uh, something that we want to bring into being, and uh, and to our power to manifest that. So we're using this ability all the time, even if we don't give it credit. And uh, uh, I was very taken by a, a study that the parapsychologist Douglas Dean did back in the 1960s. As his book that he wrote uh, based on the study called Executive ESP looked at uh, the factors that uh, very successful business people, corporate executives, heads of huge companies, uh, what were their factors that helped their success. And they were all quite willing to talk about gut instinct, hunches, fly by the seat of their pants, all these other terms that describe psychic power. But, of course, if you were to suggest to them that they were using psychic ability, most of them probably would have frozen on the spot and denied it. Uh, we have right. developed so much terminology for describing this innate faculty that all of us have. Every single one of us, including very hard skeptics, have had situations in their lives when they have had a premonition of something happening or uh, they're facing a decision and... Um, 
they on hindsight uh, they say I knew that was going to happen I knew it was going to work out this way well that's your psychic ability functioning and um, uh, a politically correct term that a lot of people can accept is intuition but it's really the same thing there's no difference between your psychic functioning and your intuition it's that part of your consciousness that sees beyond um, uh, linear time and, uh, you know, to things shaping up around you in the landscape. Rosemary, you know, when you say intuition, a lot of people uh, that I've spoken to talk to me about fears, apprehensions, anxiety, and they call that intuition. I, you know, I don't really know what's going to happen, but I just have this feeling, and it's not a good feeling. Uh, and then nothing ever does come about. How do, they, how do you separate intuition, you know, of the psychic nature from just general fears and apprehension? Well, we do all have anxieties uh, all the time. You know, we, we do have fears about... Uh, how things are going to happen or what might happen and their anxieties. Uh, and uh, a genuine premonition that has that uncomfortable feeling, that foreboding, um, is tied to, uh, to a psychic faculty. And in developing your psychic ability, uh, people have to learn how their psychic sense speaks to them and how it is different from some of these background anxieties that uh, are in play all the time. Yeah, that's that's a really good uh, kind of a trick, and I suppose you spell that out in your book, just how to do that? I do, yes. And um, Guide to Psychic Power has uh, 22 keys in it, and these keys all contain individual exercises that work on all the senses so that people can uh, start uh, figuring out how their psychic ability speaks to them through the five senses and through the body. A lot of our psychic information on, a, on, on the most basic level comes through the body. You know, the body will react in some way positively or negatively. But a lot of the information is a lot more subtle, and so um, everyone has kind of a, a strength. They're more visual. They're they're more auditory oriented. Uh, maybe even it's taste or smell. And so these exercises are aimed at an exploration of how your psychic information comes to you, and then ways that you can validate okay. it. And that's I'm going to ask you to hold it there, because again, I don't want the computer to kick us out. The book is Guide to Psychic Power. If you'd like to know more about Rosemary, visit her website at visionaryliving.com. Check this book out. You, you've been listening to what's in the book. It is a great read, and it is a, an experience, and it's an experiential process. Now, we have a video for you during the break featuring our guests discussing the use of black mirrors to contact spirits. You can view it by joining the chat room. Just go to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. We'll be right back. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. 
A silent battle has been raging for the territory of your mind. Like a virulent virus, the effects are spreading. In Gotcha, Eldon Taylor explores the 24-7 bombardment of information designed to manage your thinking. He demonstrates how new sound bites are championed into personal awareness, becoming memes of the culture. And this results in framing and reframing classical positions, causing adjustments to personal values and history itself. Your every decision process is being managed and manipulated. Gotcha exposes the arrival of the Orwellian age in full-blown technicolor. In laying bare the current uses of the many sophisticated techniques, Eldon reveals what it is we need to do in order to avoid allowing others to puppet our thoughts. For details, go to eldentaylor.com backslash gotcha. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome back. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Rosemary Ellen Guiley about her research and book, Guide to Psychic Power. To learn more about Rosemary, do visit her website at visionaryliving.com. All right, Rosemary, we just played your second musical choice, Running Down a Dream, performed by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Uh, how does this one relate to, I mean, is this, again, the dream of awakening psychic ability? Come on, unfold it. Tell us to us. What I like about this song is its energy and its um, sense of exploration and adventure. It, to me, the, the song is about being in the flow. And um, uh, I'm running down a dream uh, looking for the mystery. There's another line toward the end of the song that says, I'm picking up whatever is mine. And so there's an optimism here. Uh, there's uh, having an adventure, optimism, uh, going to go out and find, uh, you know, whatever is mine. Uh, this is part of a mystery. It's an adventure. 
And that's a mindset that's very helpful to living in the flow, uh, which involves use of one's psychic uh, sense and ability to uh, manifestation. There's, uh, we have to be good risk takers. Um, we have to have an optimistic view uh, <clears throat> toward life. And the more we can cultivate this high energy and optimism and uh, sense of exploration, the better able we are to recognize the, uh, the signals uh, when they do come through our psychic ability. All right. I like that. I like the music, too, by the way. All right. <laughs> you want to go <laughs> dancing sometime? I love your choices. They really, you know, great music. Uh, you know, there are folks out there who believe they can read minds, Rosemary. Uh, that is, they generally tend to know what folks are thinking about, or so they claim. Is this an advantage or a disadvantage, in your opinion? And is it a real psychic power or just, you know, a psychological delusion? Well, telepathy has been demonstrated scientifically in the laboratory, the ability of a person to transfer thought to another. And um, this happens spontaneously quite a bit. It does. Without, I mean, telepathy, I, I, you know, I understand that as I'm going to send thoughts to you or you're going to send thoughts to me. I mean, it is a, a, a directional thing. But the idea of blankly being able to read the thoughts in another person's mind, that's quite different than sending a thought, isn't it? Well, it works both ways because people can spontaneously sense what somebody else is feeling or thinking. And... Um, uh, there are people who are highly empathic. They seem to be very sensitive, especially to the emotional um, fields of other people. And for some people, this is a problem, uh, that they're constant. It's more of a mood thing for them. They pick up on unhappy thoughts or uh, depression or sadness uh, or anger. Uh, and uh, they, some, some people have a difficult time even walking down the street uh, without being impacted by uh, what's going on in other people's heads. But um, most people have a barrier and filters to that. Uh, otherwise, I think we would collide with each other uh, all the time with our thoughts and feelings. It would be very difficult for us to uh, to even make it through the day. Right. Uh, with psychic training, it is possible to enhance that ability by tuning into someone uh, as we know from the field of stage magic, it is possible also to develop the skill of just doing cold readings, uh, where you're using other kinds of techniques and tricks to uh, right. you know, pick up on what's going on with people. Uh, people give themselves away in their facial expressions, their body language, uh, the tone and the timbre of their voice. And uh, these are all very subtle cues that we pick up on all the time, and we filter in, in our... Uh, reactions to people and and uh, are analyzing what's going on with people. Uh, so for a small minority of people, the the empaths, uh, they have to learn how to filter this stuff out rather than how to encourage bringing it in. Uh, they just have different barriers, uh, energetic barriers that most people don't have. Uh, if we were something. able to read each other's thoughts all the time, that in, in our world today would be very problematic uh, because um, we're, we're hiding our real thoughts and feelings all the time from others, and we 
many people always have uh, ulterior motives going on. So you can imagine how changed reality would be if our thoughts were completely transparent. Uh, now, people in the afterlife in mediumistic communications have made comments to the to that, saying that thoughts are transparent in the afterlife, and there is uh, no possibility for dishonesty and and for hiding things. Let me ask you this: uh, it, last night, uh, well, I'm going to digress a little bit further. Uh, my wife's dog um, had. Uh, uh, well, she was, uh, the word has spayed. run out. Spayed yesterday. Thank <laughs> you. All right. She was spayed yesterday, or actually the day before. And we brought her home yesterday, and instantly, um, two other dogs that we have ran right to her rear end, just as though she had said, okay, I'm home. I had surgery and my stitches. and I mean, as though they knew. Okay, our cat, one of my wife's two cats, did the same thing, uh, and they all treated her very gently and you know loving on her, and it was, it, you know, I marvelled at that. So last night, as I was falling asleep, I was trying to think in that twilight stage, what on earth kind of communication could go on between animals like that, and I had this sudden, you know, I guess you would call it, you know, um, realization, an empathic grab in my stomach, and the clear understanding that they feel it from each other. They don't think it in words. They feel it. Does that make any sense? And do you think that is, you know, has anything to do with reality or is that just, you know, poppycock? Well, it makes complete sense to me, Eldon. Uh, a long time ago, I realized that uh, the energy that psychic stuff runs on is emotion. And when you look at uh, some of the kinds of psychic experiences people have, there is often an intense emotional component to it. And uh, so I think our emotions are very important in this process. And that's uh, one of the reasons why um, I, I think it's important to elevate our emotions as much as possible, that the, the uh, happier and more optimistic we are, we're generating an emotional energy that it attracts, um, you know, other things and more psychic uh, input than when we're depressed and sad. And animals, uh, you know, they react to their owners the same way. You know, every pet owner uh, knows that um, their pet, just understands when they need a little extra attention. Uh, you know, they, they're very responsive to human mood. When I did my energy healing uh, training uh, back in the uh, early 2000s, mm -hmm. um, one of the things I discovered, uh, and, and I was in, in a class with a lot of people who were training to be medical intuitives. They were very good at reading the body and reading the etheric body. And I always found myself in the emotional body that when I tuned into someone, I was picking up on their feelings, on their emotional issues, uh, rather than seeing things that were going on physically in the body. And I did ask my instructor about that. I said, am I doing anything wrong here? And he said, no. He said, that's your natural affinity. You're tuning in to the emotional body. And uh, so over the course of time, uh, then when I started doing more and more readings for people, 
um, I would often pick up on their feelings and uh, things that were emotionally significant to them. And um, I, I think we all have different attunements and affinities. And uh, that, that's one of the things that Guide to Psychic Power helps uh, someone sort out is sort what out. are your yeah. natural strengths? Um, what so are you naturally maybe... attuned to? And then how can you improve on that to uh, to make it work for you in, in better and better ways? But you're right. quite right about the emotional link. It's very important to the process of psychic transference of any sort of information. So maybe, you know, some mind readers, I'm not saying all, but some mind readers aren't looking at some lexical script. They're actually reading an emotion and attempting to decipher what that emotion is saying to them. Does that make sense? Well, yes, it does. And uh, I suspect that in a lot of stage magic, there's a lot of real psychic stuff that, that happens. Uh, in fact, there's, there's an aspect of uh, magic called bizarre magic, where um, magicians will acknowledge that sometimes things happen without explanation, uh, even though it's, you know, it's not by the book, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so the more you try to attune yourself to someone, you're naturally going to open up your, uh, your psychic uh, ability to, to, to sense things. Uh, and pick up on uh, bits and pieces of, of information. I also discovered that I would get impressions off holding objects, possessions that uh, people have, especially metal objects like jewelry or even car keys, because uh, cars were very tied to our cars. Uh, and uh, metal seems to hold um, uh, personal information better than a lot of other kinds of objects. Right. And uh, this is a very old uh, ability. It's been uh, documented and written about for quite some time. The soul of Soviet things. documents. Soviets did all kinds of works on telemetry where they taught this to their people. That's well done. Well, well, well documented. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but you're right. Yes, go on, please. Uh, well, yes, and back in the 19th century, uh, was it? Um, oh, I'm not sure if it was William Buchanan or not. Uh, wrote a book called The Soul of Things, where he did some experiments with psychometry. And uh, it's even been used in psychic ar- archaeology. Stephen Schwartz did uh, a book on that called The Vault of Time, I think, uh, a few decades ago, about using psychometrists to hold uh, objects from archaeological digs to pick up yeah, impressions that could then help William Denton's book. Pardon me? I say that's William Denton's book. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, William Denton, thank you. I I knew it either Uh had to be Denton or Buchanan. Right. Um, uh, William Denton, The Soul of Things, yes. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, can psychometrists hold items from an archaeological dig, for example, and then get impressions that then can help historians validate something factually? And uh, a very interesting uh, examination of that. So we're in a sea of psychic information impressions all the time. And um, many people don't even realize it. Uh, they think that being psychic requires fortune-telling ability or some extraordinary ability. They don't really realize that they're making use of it all the time in various ways and that they can strengthen that faculty for their own advantages. And it just has to do with getting through life better and making better decisions, being happier, 
staying on balance, uh, over, uh, working through stresses better, realizing your your dreams, uh, big and small, uh, and um, improving your connection to the greater whole of things, to the whole of humanity, and and to uh, that cosmic transcendence that we all feel. Yeah, you know the idea of. Uh some of the work that was done during the Cold War and the Soviets, and it triggered a question in my mind. Um, supposedly, they developed scrubbers, and a scrubber was someone who could alter or erase thoughts and memories of someone else, do this all psychically. So I guess I have a two-part question, if you will, Rosemary. First, is this a skill we should encourage the development of? And second, have you any direct knowledge of this ability existing in anyone uh, today or in the past? Well, I, I've only heard about it uh, in in theory. I have not come into any personal contact with someone who has claimed to have that ability. Uh, although, you know, there are the experiencers who feel that that entities can uh, manipulate and and scrub our thoughts, uh, so to speak. But there is a, you know, there's always a dark underbelly to uh, to all of these things, and the dark underbelly of psychic development is uh, then uh, the ability to manipulate other people. If you have access to thoughts and feelings, and uh, to uh, even coming into people's dreams, uh, dream invasion, which is a very old, ancient uh, technique uh, to influence what people might think and do, then how is that power used? And can it be misused? And, of course, it can be misused. So uh, where do we take this? If, if we all develop our psychic ability, then uh, we're, we have to be on an even higher guard against uh, manipulation uh, by, by very powerful people. Uh, now, in the in the practice of magic uh, and sorcery, uh, these sorts of things are taken for granted. That you can use a psychic uh, uh, ability to uh, influence people uh, for better or for harm, and uh, you can influence their thoughts and then uh, have and emotions, and then have an impact on their health, uh, and. Uh, uh, cause a, a great deal of oppression. Uh, so technically these things are possible, and I think that um, certain skilled individuals are capable of carrying them out. The average person has a very strong buffer around them, and that's the aura. And I, I give some discussion to the layers of the aura and the chakras in, in uh, Guide to Psychic Power. I think it's important for people to uh, understand and, and even feel this boundary of energy around us, which is one of our best defenses for psychic protection against unwanted influences. Uh, and uh, when people are ill and stressed, and uh, these boundaries can, can weaken a bit. So uh, that's another reason for us to keep ourselves uh, as well-maintained as possible. Um, I think that it would be very difficult to force someone to do something against their moral and ethical will. Uh, for example, could you cause someone to murder someone else? And uh, in the conspiracy circles, there has always been a lot of discussion on programs to 
uh, you know, manipulate people to do these sorts of things. And uh, I think that it would be very difficult to uh, manipulate uh, the average person to do that. It would be so fundamentally against someone's ethical and moral conscience that they couldn't do that. But if someone were weakened enough uh, or uh, inclined or disposed to violent acts, would it be possible to um, to increase that through psychic manipulation? And theoretically, yes, it would. Right. So do you think, I mean, there are a lot of exhortations about, uh, you know, psychic um, as being from the devil and evil and, you know, and something that we should avoid in the Christian tradition. Well, in, indeed, in many, many uh, religious traditions. Uh, do you think that that these warnings exist because if you begin to open up these powers and abilities, you make yourself more vulnerable? Or is the converse of that true? If you open up these abilities, are you more able to detect a psychic attack, defend against it? How do you see that? Uh, my interpretation of it has been that um, if, if people are encouraged to uh, develop this side of themselves, they become more independent. Uh, they are less likely to be swayed or manipulated by uh, oppressive forces. They have their own direct connection to uh, the Godhead. Um, they are uh, better able to uh, make uh, decisions for themselves. And so this begins to erode a lot of power structures. And uh, I think that's uh, one of the reasons why these these things have always been discouraged. And uh, there is there is always that, again, that dark underbelly danger zone where um, evil intended people would be inclined to uh, develop these abilities for the wrong purposes. But by and large, I've always regarded it as more an issue of mass control than anything else. Okay, now, you know, you've been involved personally in, um, you know, um, investigations uh, of, of a psychic nature, including things like the Amnit, say it for me, Rosemary. Oh, the Amnitville Horror? <laughs> yeah, I was not a primary you. investigator on that, no. on that case. Right, I know, but you you have looked into that. You you have yeah. investigated that. You're familiar, therefore, then with, as you call it, the dark belly, the the dark side of things, and how you know you, people can gather a sim- something as simple as a Ouija board, and the next thing you know, you've got you know, so-called poltergeist phenomena, etc. How much of that is Hollywood? How much of that is real? I think that uh, there's far more real stuff that goes on uh, in that regard than we might like to think. And, uh, yes, there are Hollywood factors. Anytime Hollywood uh, treats any of these cases, it's always heavily embellished uh, with a lot of fictional elements added in. Um, They say based on the story, well, there might be a very tiny basis for (laughs) many of these stories by the time Hollywood gets done with it. Uh But uh, I... Uh, in, in my investigations, especially with what I call persistent negative hauntings and entity assaults and attachments, uh, it is disturbing the level of negative paranormal activity that goes on uh, that rarely gets reported because people don't want to talk about it or they're afraid of ridicule. 
and uh, it's far more than the average person might think. Um, I don't think we're in danger of being swamped or taken over, um, but um, there's plenty of negative spirit interference uh, going on below the radar, uh, and I think that's been uh, the case throughout human history. And uh, we're in a, a modern age of technology and science today that, that tends to dismiss these things as primitive, as backward, as something that happened in the past or to people who uh, are, are still at some primitive level of living. And that's not the case. It's going on everywhere around the planet. It just morphs and shapeshifts to suit the culture and the society of the day. You know, I've actually heard, and I'll just throw that out there, and you can say false or true, whatever, based on what you you know, but I've actually heard that because of the technology, there is more of that kind of activity, not just the negative, but more, um, shall we say, uh, of the phenomena that we could think of as being ghosts or ghouls or whatever, um, that, you know, it, years past, uh methods that were utilized to establish communication might have been early forms of radio. But as we have advanced uh, our technology, the computers, etc., that, that we've, we've opened a doorway. Your experience, uh, I'm going to have to hold that. You answer that question when we come back. I've got a flash going on in front of me. Uh, well... <clears throat> We're glad you tuned in today. We know you have many choices, and we're grateful you chose to join us. We love your feedback, so please join me on Facebook and or drop me an email at Eldon at EldonTaylor.com. I love sharing your letters and comments on the show, and that's a great way for you to participate. We'll be right back following this short break. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. New scientific research has repeatedly demonstrated that the power of your mind can do wonderful things if you believe in yourself. Indeed, it can literally change the brain, increasing cognitive abilities, rewiring connections, and even adding gray matter. And all you have to do is invest a little time in tuning your mind. The perfect toolkit for just that is the patented and proven effective InnerTalk technology. InnerTalk changes the way you talk to yourself. And that changes everything. For when you truly believe in yourself and your own abilities, magic happens. InnerTalk has over 300 programs to choose from, ranging from health and wellness to prosperity and success. From accelerated learning to relationships. From habits and addictions to spirituality. Remove the doubt and fear now. Go to InnerTalk.com today. Hi. I'm Eldon Taylor, and you're listening to Provocative Enlightenment Radio. I'm so glad you could join me as we tackle those tough questions in search of the answers that really matter. But remember, this is a journey we are undertaking together, so I would love to hear your thoughts as well. Please send your comments to Eldon, that's E-L-D-O-N, at eldontaylor.com. You can also join in the conversation by... Joining me on Facebook at Dr. Eldon Taylor. That's D-R-E-L-D-O-N-T-A-Y-L-O-R. Now, back to the show.
Welcome back. We've been chatting with Rosemary Ellen Guiley about her great book, Guide to Psychic Power. In this half hour, we'll take your calls, so if you have questions, give us a call or advance your comments and questions in our chat room. We may even get Rosemary to give you a quick reading if you use the telephone and dial us now. And remember, I love your feedback, and a great place for that is on Facebook, so I invite you to join me there today. All right, Rosemary, we just played your third musical choice, Time by Pink Floyd. Why this one? It's a song about wasting your life away. And this is what happens when we don't stay on point, when we allow ourselves to uh, get mired down by obstacles and stress. We lose our vision. Uh, We all have a vision in life of uh, what we're supposed to do and, and Sometimes we lose that vision, and uh, as the song points out, uh, one day you wake up and uh, a whole decade has gone by, and for some, a whole lifetime has gone by. They've been waiting for someone to point out to them what they should do, how they should go about living. In fact, that ability is right inside, and all the signals are there all the time. Um, But a lot of times we put ourselves on hold, and we also play delaying games. We wait for perfect opportunities. Uh, before we'll make a move, and uh, psychic ability is about risk-taking. We, we do that with every area of our life, actually, I think. It isn't just psychic abilities. We're always, you know, tomorrow. Um, and, and when it comes to a lot of things, any, any ambition that we have uh, tends to be, well, you know, you're going to lose some weight. Well, maybe tomorrow. I'm, I'll, I'll go ahead and have the chocolate today. Or you, you know, you're going to stop smoking. You're, you're going to venture out into a new business. It seems to be that that's just that, that's human nature. Uh, does, does developing psychic ability assist us in overcoming these kinds of, of, uh, propensities? I believe it does, and you're so right. You know, we, we all have uh, delays. In fact, there, there are three things that I call the delaying games, that uh, when it comes to making decisions and moving forward in big and small ways, we hang ourselves up, and one is uh, when then. You know, when all things are perfect, then I will. It's the tomorrow thing. Right. Uh, and then there's what if. Uh, what if I make this decision? What if I do this? and what's going to happen. Something bad might happen. So it's about risk-taking. And then the third one is if only. If only I had more money, if only I had more time, if only I didn't have to do this, then I could. So it's about putting obstacles in front of us uh, in order to uh, not do something. And we all do these in in, uh, varying degrees. Uh, but if we've paid attention to developing our psychic ability, it's always going to pull us up to a higher perspective where we can uh, get beyond that. And uh, I do think that it's a very important asset to staying on point. Okay, before the break, uh, I suggested that technologies actually increase the activity of the spirit world. Uh, would you say that's true or false? 
Uh, well, it certainly brings more of it out. And uh, I don't know where the line is between uh, it's actually increased it or it's just uh, showing in increased ways what's already there and has already been there. Uh, our improved technology in photography and recording equipment, for example, certainly has enabled us to capture more unexplained evidence yes. uh, of the unseen realms. But I think that, that this evidence has been there all along. Now, there is the argument made by many that te- technology developments are literally pushing open portals between dimensions that are enabling more influences to uh, to come into our world. And uh, certainly there may be some validity to that. Take, for example, now the development of the Internet and global media. We have the capability for uh, mass consciousness uh, forming in a coherence in ways that are unprecedented in, in the entire uh, human history. And could that technological development attract external influences that want to participate in that for varying agendas. I, I do think, personally, I think that does go on. Okay, so that's consistent with what I've been, you know, been told. Let me ask you this, then. Let's turn back to your book. You, uh, you have this little self-test when you uh, initially get into the book that's designed to assist us in discovering um, whether or not we have any natural ability and uh, and how if you will we might uh, we might best develop or begin to develop explain to us this self test how you developed it and and uh, and what we should expect when we're all said and done taking it well the self test comes out of my own experiences as well as uh, the experiences of other people that I've interviewed and who've been a part of my uh, training and skill development that I've done over the years in in various aspects. All of these things come out of my energy healing, meditation, dream work, uh, paranormal research, and and other kinds of um, experiential streams. One of the most important is uh, you have hunches or gut feelings about how something will work out. And uh, this happens to people almost daily, and surprisingly, most of the time, people do not act on them. Uh, because as soon as we get uh, an impression uh, about we should do something or should not do something or that something's going to play out a certain way, the left brain immediately takes over and wants to overanalyze it or discard it as non-rational. And so people will tend to suppress that and not pay attention to it, or if it runs counter to something that they have an expectation for, uh, they will also override it. And then later, uh, they say to themselves, oh, I knew that was going to happen. I knew I should have done that, should not have done that. And uh, so they've gotten the validation that their psychic impression was exactly right. Uh, and so being prompted by good judgment, you know, be, being inspired and prompted to do something uh, that sometimes comes out of the blue. That can be your psychic faculty working. Luck. I discuss luck uh, in various places in the book about how luck is really made. It's not just an accident. It's in many respects made, and it's made by our attunement, our psychic sensitivity and attunement that we put elbow grease into. Uh, And this in turn influences uh, synchronicities that 
open up the right doors, being in the right place at the right time. So right. it's a combination of things. So uh, luck is involved in this as well. Uh, if we inexplicably know something, something falls into our head, uh, that can be an indication of uh, the psychic faculty, you know, information that's important to you in some way, but you can't place it in terms of any uh, logical um, context. And, uh, you know, uh, dreams, uh, we get a lot of guidance in our dreams. They're mirrors of truth that reflect to us uh, how we're really feeling in life and uh, things that we really need to work on. Uh, they can provide guidance and uh, a lot of inspiration. Um, if we think we have guesses about things that turn out to be accurate, we're really not guessing. We're using our psychic faculty. Uh, we discussed earlier in the show the premonitions, the, the feelings, sometimes vague, about things that were going to happen. All of these things are very easily overridden by the left brain, the logical mind. And so in uh, developing our psychic ability, we have to uh, retrain ourselves to pay more attention to these things. And um, this is not about being impulsive. Uh, it's not about taking uh, unreasonable risks, but having a good balance between these two faculties so that we get the best of both. Um, we feel, uh, another indication, we feel guided by a higher power. Uh, that is one way that our psychic sense um, addresses us, and I, I think uh, um, this faculty is packaged for people or takes on a packaging that makes the most sense to them or that they can relate to the most. And for some, it's going to be uh, a, a very strong feeling of being guided by, like, a guardian angel or a, a guardian spirit of some sort uh, that's going to funnel the information, be the filter uh, for that. Uh, flashes of insight in which things seem to be crystal clear uh, is a faculty of inspiration and uh, imagination, and uh, it's the bolt, literally the bolt from the blue that can clarify things, clear uh, the the head, uh, and that's part of the psychic uh, fun functioning. And um, uh, many people have experienced impulses, uh, very strong impulses. That are you there? All right, hand me the phone, or let's let's go ahead and take Richard, who's on line two, while we're trying to get our guest back. We've just lost a connection with her for a moment. Richard, you're on the air. So, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. And you were calling to get a reading. Uh... Yeah, I thought that would be. I I sort of. I almost didn't dial the phone, and I thought, you know. Um, I sort of fit her description of what she talked about ten years, just sort of floating by. Um, you know, with the with the bank recession and everything, I've, I've been through about seven years of wandering about. As I experienced kind of the perfect storm four years ago, and everything just blew up on me. So I thought, you know, I'd be a perfect candidate for her to try a reading if she was interested in doing that. Yeah, she'd do that for you. If we can get her back on the air, we'll do exactly that. So. Um, you be sure and hang on the line, and as soon as she comes back on, we'll uh, we'll get her in here, get you in with her, and we'll see uh, see what she has to say about that. I don't know what uh, 
Well, maybe by golly, she's... I just acted on an intuition, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, you're acting on your psychic abilities. That's that's good. <laughs> All right. Ravinder, what do you think? I think it helps if you turn me back on. I yeah, was turned off the air right then. Um, you know, I find the whole interest, uh, the whole field of psychic abilities really interesting. Where I, what I keep on questioning is the difference between psychic abilities and intuition. And is it the same thing? Is it just I that? I think Rosemary would say it is the same thing. Isn't it just certain, pa- certain personalities, though, wrapping things up in, um, prettier packaging i'm not sure do we have our guest back rosemary are you there i'm i'm back uh i'm sorry i'm not sure what happened i'm I'm not either neither is the station but okay we have richard on the line with us richard called in and um, well richard you go ahead you pick it up and uh you you tell rosemary yeah, I, you know, I just uh, really related to you were talking about 10 years kind of passing by after you talked about that song you had on. And uh, I'm in a situation uh, as an architect where everything just blew up on me seven years ago at the beginning of the recession. And it's been about seven years of trying to right the ship and trying different things. And there's, you know, certain directions that left brain would say might work and my intuition says I don't want to go there. And so I'm giving up some opportunities pursuing others. The one I'm pursuing right now, talk about taking a risk, it just feels like the the chance of achieving what I want is really daunting, and yet, you know, what's inside of me tells me that's what I should be doing, but it, it feels like a daunting enterprise. And so you talked about maybe doing a reading, and I thought I'd be the perfect candidate. I sort of fit right into what you were describing earlier. Well, uh, a lot of times uh, things blow up on us, Uh, And there is something else that we are meant to do, and it does require giving up some things uh, to embrace the new. And I feel that's the direction that you're going in, Richard, that um, life is uh, has already changed more significantly than you might realize because you've spent a lot of energy trying to uh, regain old ground uh, when, in fact, there's uh, new ground ahead. And what I'm wondering is um, how much of this has to do with um, less uh, less material things. Um, we all have to make a living and you know keep roofs over our heads and everything. But uh, a lot of times these new directions point us in uh, something that has to do with the expansion of our spiritual consciousness. And uh, I have a feeling that's what's going on for you. Well, it is very interesting. There's In that seven years, so much has happened. It would take a long time to even describe. But basically, I was living the life of a millionaire seven years ago, and now essentially have nothing. I'm, you know, would be homeless without the help of others. So certainly that aspect plays into it. <laughs> there is that. And, you know, I've really discovered through all my research and so on, happiness comes from your social network and... um you know, the sort of things you're doing with other people and material stuff doesn't have a whole lot of interest to me. I'm not sure it ever did, but you mentioned that, and it's certainly an aspect of what's gone on. But uh, the search for the spiritual, well, there's a long there's a long discussion I could have about that. Well, a lot of the skills you have, um, I would look for new applications for your skills. Um, and uh, with, with an eye to uh, impacting society as a whole, uh, 
there's, um, you know, Eldon asked me in the beginning uh, about what accounts for our interest in a lot of these um, extraordinary experiences. And uh, I think that many people are being propelled uh, in these directions to, to look at how they are impacting the greater whole of things. And uh, so there may be something for you there that's more socially oriented. Richard, well, that's exactly I think the direction is. I'm going. I just didn't imagine changing the world, that kind of a large-minded impact. <laughs> well, we, we change the world in small ways. <laughs> One person at a time, Richard. Thanks for calling, sir. Okay, perfect. That was very interesting. She's right on track, by the way, in terms of what's going on, so I should say that. Good, good. Well, thank you, Richard, and good luck to you. Oh, thank you. All right. Rosemary, I have to ask you, have you, you know, given any thought to the mechanic behind psychic abilities? I mean, for all intent and purposes, for precognition to be real, we are forced to think in terms either terms without time and or terms of predetermination. I mean, what what are your thoughts here? Is the universe predetermined? Uh, well, I think there is such a thing as destiny, um, but I consider it to be um, very fluid and general that um, if we're talking about an individual or, or as a society as a whole, but let's take an individual that we come into life uh, with a plan, an idea, a blueprint, so to speak, uh, for a destiny, fulfilling a certain destiny. And so there are going to be uh, some things in life that are going to constantly orient us toward the fulfilling of that plan, uh, but we also have many choices for how we're going to execute that. And if if we don't fulfill the destiny, then it just I believe in reincarnation. We uh, we do it again. So um, in terms of actual events, um, I've I've always looked at them as probabilities based on forces in motion. Which um, I'm not much of a physics person, but a physics person told me that this is a very physics way of looking at it, that right. you have uh, the energy of forces in motion based upon people's decisions, thoughts, and intentions, and they all aim toward uh, an outcome, an event. Uh, and uh, when I've given readings, I, I usually tell people that I don't think the reading has much effect beyond 6 to 12 months because too many forces in motion have changed, and uh, that's going to create a whole new set of circumstances. So uh, we're constantly looking at these probab- you know, these probabilities, uh, field of probabilities that have the potential for manifestation, depending upon the forces in motion. And when when it comes down to big events, and this is one of the things that people have often asked, uh, like big tragedies, like the right. Titanic sinking and uh, the World the Trade Towers. Center disaster, and um, you know, other cataclysms and things that have affected um, mass numbers of people, that if, if people are psychic, then why can't we foresee some of these things to stave them off? And uh, uh, back in the 1970s into the 80s, uh, there were some efforts to do that, to set up what were called the premonitions bureaus on both sides of the Atlantic to collect psychic impressions with the idea of warding off um, calamities. And uh, it was not a successful effort. Uh, first of all, um, information tends to be too piece, piecemeal. It often comes in symbolic ways that people have to interpret. 
Uh, it's very rare for someone to get the whole picture, like, uh, for example, the World Trade Center disaster, that on a specific date at a specific time, planes were going to fly into the World Trade Center. Uh, people will get pieces of events shaping up that, in hindsight, they, they can recognize. But when it comes to major disasters like that, I think there's a critical mass factor that um, it's like an airplane roll. Uh, at some point, the airplane has to take off. So if forces in motion toward a significant event reach that critical mass factor, the event's going to happen. And it's at that point that I think people start to pick up on it precognitively. Um, most precognitions occur very close to an actual event. Uh, and so the event is destined then to happen because of the forces in motion. That's my personal take on it. Uh, and uh, I think we have uh, a lot of control. A lot of things are very fluid. Um, but then up to a point. Up to a point. Of course, enters, you know, you can take forces in motion, your field of probabilities. You can bring that back to the brain. You can bring it back to consciousness. We We have... FMRI studies that show us that the subconscious is making the decision 7 to 10, 6 to 10 seconds, I should say, before the conscious mind is aware of it. So an MRI technician actually watching the brain knows what I'm going to decide before I know what I'm going to decide. But what then does that do to free will? Rosemary, in 30 seconds, where's free will? Uh, we do have free will, and uh, yes, they can see what areas of the brain light up when we're in some sort of emotional state or mental process, um, but uh, we do have a tremendous amount of free will uh, to, uh, to make decisions, and it's that free will which then uh, creates factors uh, that play out in these destinies. All right. Listen, I want you to tell everybody how they can learn more about you about your 60 books, in particularly how they can get what we've been talking about, A Guide to Psychic Power, and it's a great read. There's, um, If you've enjoyed this show, if you're at all interested in psychic ability, you're going to want to get a hold of this book. It's one of the best that I've ever read. Tell us all where we can get it. Well, thank you, Eldon. Uh, my vision, uh, website is visionaryliving.com. It's available there. It's also available in ebook formats on uh, Amazon, Nook, Kobo and iTunes. Um, Visionary Living is my main website, and I also have a free newsletter that people can subscribe to there, as well as uh, articles about a lot of the research that I do. All right, wonderful. Thank you for your work, Rosemary, and for your willingness to share it with us. We've come to the end of another episode of Provocative Enlightenment. I want to thank all of you out there for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed our show and will join us again next week, same time and same place. And do tell your friends. Let's have them join us as well. Okay, until next time, wherever you are in the world, remember, believing in yourself always matters. Provocative Enlightenment has been brought to you by Progressive Awareness Research and other sponsors. Provocative Enlightenment is a syndicated show and appears on other networks. For a schedule of showtimes, visit ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, write to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com.